Sending you a warm autumn welcome to the Breaking Script podcast with Lella and Nini. This is where we explore the glimmer-filled world of Hallmark movies and the occasional Asian drama. Our cinematic self-care sessions bring us even more joy this fall because we get to do this together with you. So let's get this therapeutic adventure started. Welcome back to the Breaking Script podcast with Lella and Nini. I'm Lella. And I'm Nini. And we want to share with you today what we're surprised that we've learned about ourselves in this journey to create this podcast and put it out there. (laughs) Lala, what are some things you've learned about yourself? I say like and so and okay (laughs) so many times. I just said it there. I also say, I also start a lot of sentences with, can I just say, can I just say, okay, so can I just say, it drives me nuts. (laughs) You're hearing it more because you're editing. It's is true. is can I just say, is that a Canadian thing? Like to ask for permission before you say something? Uh, it could be. Hmm, that's an interesting thought. It could probably be a Canadian saying that uh that I just don't realize. Well, yeah, no, maybe it is a Canadian thing. I don't know. Uh, okay. Um, I mean, I'm also like learning so much internally about myself through these movies, but <laughs> what are you learning about? <laughs> well, honestly, I was surprised that like your Canadian didn't show more like, well, you've mm-hmm. never really said a, I thought maybe like if you heard Canadian actors in their accents, it would come out because I totally thought like my Valley girl accent would like come out. <laughs> Fun story. When I was in junior high, I've ever told you this no um so I grew up in the valley I grew up in the 818 area code and there was you know a movie out that I wasn't allowed to watch called Sweet Valley High but we knew we all read the books and we're in a discipleship group and one of the girls was like oh my gosh like like are we like those like valley girls it came out exactly <laughs> like that all of us all of us repeating like parents like oh oh my goodness, like, like we are like those like family girls. <laughs> and I kid you not, when I first moved from LA to Kentucky, I remember our real estate agent was from like the sticks. Like he did his business in Metro Louisville, but when he would talk to his parents that are from this little town, his accent would get really thick. And I was like, huh, that's interesting. And then I started hearing myself when I would talk to my girlfriends from LA, the <laughs> legs and like totally would come. And there's like that, the tonation of your voice, like going up and down comes out. You guys, I was shocked <laughs> that it did not, I don't feel like it's coming out that much, but instead I'm saying y'all <laughs> I've said it, I think on every sub, every <laughs> I said it on every single episode. I'm so shocked I'm stumbling over my words because I don't think I've said y'all. I can't count on my hand the number of times I've said y'all in my entire life. Yeah, I've never I've never heard you say y'all except for on this show. <laughs> Why is it coming out now? But anyways, all that just to say, you guys, if you think you feel have this calling to like put content out there, just do it. 
because this the way that this has come together was so not how we expected again your feedback is blessing us more than you can yes. realize people have shared how it's impacted them already I'm going to get asked for permission before I share some specific stories like some of these testimonies have brought me to tears mm. but you guys I've messed up so much stuff like I think on one of the first episodes, I used the term dorsal instead of ventral, which you guys probably don't even care what that means. And you got my meaning anyway. But just so you know, I need, I feel like I need to correct this. This is the perfectionist in me. <laughs> the neuroscience in polyvagal theory, your ventral vagal is the green light. Your dorsal vagal is the red light. Anyways, there's so many things that I said wrong, like the actor in What About Bob is Bill Murray, not Bill McMurray. There's so many things. I'm not going to continue. <laughs> you guys probably don't care, but I catch it afterwards. And I've progressed because <laughs> I'm putting the content out there anyway. So exactly. be encouraged. You can make progress. Progress, not perfection. My last thing before we jump into today. I'm so excited to announce this. Did you guys know? that there is a Hallmark Movies watching list app and a Great American Family channel watching list app, which basically, if you go and you download it, and we'll link it in the show notes, the Hallmark one specifically was like the glimmer of my week. It was Aww. a huge glimmer because you guys know how much I love planning and organizing. This app, like immediately when you make an account, it gives you this very simple checklist. Do you want to add all of these Hallmark movies on your calendar or just the new ones that are premiering? So I clicked all and you guys, it synced perfectly into my calendar of what movies are premiering on what days and which new ones are re-airing. It's going to make me so it's much a type easier a to dream. do this publishing. It's literally, I was it made my week like I said and you're welcome I'm sharing this with you you'll thank me later <laughs> all right well let's get into today's movie we are covering boyfriends of Christmas past so Nini why don't you give us a summary yes this movie actually first premiered October 23rd of 2021 on the Hallmark channel starring Catherine Kim as Lauren and Raymond a black as neat and I feel like I just have to mention Paul Sun Hyung Lee as Appa, who, if you don't know who that is, he also plays in Star Wars movies. He's recently seen in Ahsoka and Mandalorian, but mostly known as Appa from Kim's Convenience. Go watch it. You're welcome. Here we go. In a bustling city, twinkling with Christmas lights, we open to a festive Christmas game night. Lauren, our marketing maven, played by the radiant Catherine Kim, is in the thick of it. She's surrounded by friends and laughter. She and her best friend, Nate, have won these Christmas game nights three years in a row. They're so close, they can read each other's minds. So Nate invites Lauren over for Christmas festivities and entices her with the promise of food, but she's not sure she can make it because Lauren has a marketing pitch she needs to prepare for a bakeware company. Nate has her favorite holiday treats delivered to her while she works from home, gingerbread and hot chocolate. She later finds herself in what she thinks is a gingerbread-induced dream where her first boyfriend, Tyler Mursky, the skateboard enthusiast, shows up in her current home. She's adult her, but he's high school Tyler and she's confused. That's when he tells her, you'll be visited by three more of your ex-boyfriends. 
even more confused. She's wondering, is this some kind of K-drama plot twist? But Tyler's message is clear. She needs to recognize a pattern in her past relationships and change before it's too late. Too late for what? Waking up startled, Lauren rushes to her favorite coffee shop to confide in her best friend, Nate. As she recounts her bizarre dream, she mentions her last boyfriend, Logan, which was a few years ago now. And Nate, the ever-supportive friend, encourages Lauren to reflect on her past relationships. After all, he's been single for a year and understands the complexities of love. Lauren encourages Nate to get back out there. The two share a heartwarming moment, reminiscing about their tradition of being each other's plus ones when they've been single over the years. And Nate always comes to the Kim's family Christmas potluck dinner. Lauren isn't a good cook, so she always brings the soju. Lauren shows up at the toy wrapping drive to help Nate. He works with local foster kids and is a social worker. A woman named Lily comes to drop off gifts and seems flirty with Nate as she offers to volunteer for the party Nate throws on Christmas Eve for all the local foster kids. Even these kids know how much Lauren means to Nate and they jest that she's his girlfriend. Lauren assures them she is not. Later that night, Lauren is visited by her second ex-boyfriend, Jake, the college guitarist. They're back in the campus library surrounded by the scent of old books and homemade Christmas cookies from Jake's mom. Lauren recalls how she never had those traditional Christmas moments with her own mom, who left her and her dad just before Christmas season. Jake, who's smitten, invites her to spend Christmas winter break with his family, but the thought of it all is too overwhelming for Lauren. The L word, the Christmas sweater from Jake's mom, and the pressure of graduation and job applications, so she panics and ends their relationship abruptly. So who's there to pick up the pieces? None other than best friend Nate, armed with gingerbread and hot chocolate. They bond over their shared memories, like the time Appa promised to buy Nate soju on his 21st birthday. Lauren wakes up again, this time in another coffee shop, as she recounts her dream again about Jake to Nate, who hesitates before admitting that yes, Lauren did seem to hold back in that relationship, and Lauren wonders if she made a mistake breaking up with Jake. Nate and Lauren part with plans to see each other later for decorating the town square for Winter Wonderland. The story then progresses with Lauren visiting her stepmom, Young, the baking guru. They bond over, wait for it, bunt cakes filled with sweet rice flour and red bean paste, which Lauren jokingly refers to as Nutella for Koreans. We will talk about that later. But amidst the baking and laughter, Lauren's past relationships continue to haunt her. After happy Christmas feels in the town square, Lily gives Nate her number and Lauren suggests that Nate takes Lily to the romantic Mariano's. There's some awkward tension because that's where Nate wanted to take Lauren to celebrate for getting the bakeware account when she does, but she said it was too romantic and that she's always down just for burgers and fries instead. That night, a third ex-boyfriend, Henry, who's an architect, makes an appearance. They go back to their second Christmas together. It was a time of first for Lauren, her first boyfriend after college, her first marketing job, and the first time she felt like an adult because they were hosting a dinner party together. But when Henry suggests they move in together, Lauren panics, especially when Nate and his girlfriend Divya arrive for a dinner party for the dinner party also. A few days after said dinner party, they're in an ice skating rink, and Henry tells Lauren that he loves her and wants to pant. <laughs> Henry tells Lauren that he loves her and wants to play in a future together. She panics and says she doesn't see a future with him and literally skates away, leaving a trail of frosty heartbreak. She calls Nate crying. Later, over decorating gingerbread houses in real life, Lauren's friend and coworker has an honest conversation with her about her commitment issues and asks if she's ever seriously considered Nate. Of course, Lauren is appalled. 
Then we're at an outdoor Christmas market. Laura and Appa and her stepmom Young indulge in festive activities. Nate shows up and the two embark on a romantic sleigh ride. The city's iconic bridge glistens in the background and a sudden bump pushes Lauren and Nate closer. Their faces are inches apart. Nate is gathering the courage. He hints he has something important to discuss and Lauren is starting to back up because you can tell she is anticipating what Nate is about to say. But then she is suddenly inspired by Nate's words and has an epiphany about her marketing pitch. Bake your heart out. It's not about the technicalities of baking, but the love poured into it. With newfound confidence, she prepares for pitch day. Sensing that Nate is on the verge of confessing his feelings, she deflects and mentions he should go for other options like Lily. Amidst all the festive chaos and extra pressure from work that Lauren has to secure this bake work account, she forgets about the Christmas cards for the kids' stockings she promised to Nate. When she finally shows up after the event and very late with them, Nate's disappointment is palpable. Their conversation escalates with Nate finally admitting, Lauren, I'm in love with you. Heartbroken, he decides to skip the Kim family Christmas, leaving Lauren alone, who's probably binge-watching Hallmark movies. As Christmas Eve approaches, Lauren braces herself for another ghostly visit. Enter Logan, her outdoorsy ex-boyfriend. They're on a vacation, ziplining with mulled wine in hand. Logan, ever the romantic, reminisces about their trip to Iceland with their first I love you. And then he surprises her on that platform where she's terrified because she's scared of heights with a ring. And he says he's ready to take a bigger leap with her. But Lauren, true to form, hesitates. Logan's frustration is evident. If you're not ready now, then when? And in a dramatic twist, he drops the wing and falls and traumatically zips away. Suddenly, all of Lauren's ex-boyfriends appear like a horrible K-drama, K-pop reunion episode. There are a chorus of past regrets and what-ifs reminding Lauren of her pattern of panicking when her boyfriends get too close. Lauren, amidst this gathering of her ex-boyfriends, is in a whirlwind of emotions. Why always at Christmas, she laments, realizing that the festive season has always been a trigger of an emotional Achilles heel. Tyler cryptically hints, it might be too late, but too late for what? Suddenly, the ghostly entourage transports her to Mariano's, the very place she once deemed too romantic. Inside, she witnesses a heart-wrenching scene. Nate, with Lily by his side, is speaking of marrying his best friend. And Lauren's heart shatters. How can he marry her? I'm his best friend, and he's in love with me. Jolted awake from her dream and rolling off a couch, Lauren's resolve strengthens. Nate can't marry Lily, she declares, and she seeks wisdom, meeting Appa for a comforting coffee chat. Their heart-to-heart -heart reveals Lauren's deep-seated fears of abandonment stemming from her mother's departure just before Christmas, and Appa, the ever-wise father, shares his journey of heartbreak and healing, emphasizing that the joy of love is worth the risk of pain. And their touching conversation ends with a poignant realization they both deserve happiness. With newfound clarity, Lauren heads to her pitch meeting. She uses many of her family and friends in this pitch. But as the picture of her and Nate catches her eye, her professional pitch transforms into a heartfelt monologue about loved ones and wanting to be there for them as they were for her and not wanting to lose them. Overwhelmed, she abruptly leaves in the middle of her pitch. The scene shifts to a Christmas Eve party for the kids. Lauren, in a radiant red dress, makes a grand entrance. Nate is surprised. Lauren, with newfound courage confesses her feelings admitting that while she can risk losing an account she can't bear to lose her best friend and love their heartfelt moment culminates in a tender kiss and adorable pda handing out gifts together fast forward to a year later 
The Kim family Christmas potluck is in full swing, albeit a tad quiet for a Korean family potluck. As the evening progresses, Nate, in a heartwarming gesture, gets down on one knee, proposing to Lauren, and her response, while not overly dramatic, is genuine, reflecting her journey of growth and acceptance. As the evening winds down, Lauren spots her for ex-boyfriends outside the window. They nod, and their forms fading with the falling snow, signaling her closure with the past. The movie concludes not with a passionate kiss, but with a sense of contentment, love, and the promise of many Christmases to come. Yay! (laughs) (laughs) I have so much to say. Okay, well then let's get into it. We are going to share our ratings Each category is out of 10 bobas. We have writing, characters, how funny it was, and our overall score. So, Nini, writing, what do you give this movie? So, I feel like I was really generous now that I'm looking at it, because I have to be honest, the first time I watched, I was by myself, and I'm pretty sure I fell asleep, and it didn't keep my attention. And then the second time I tried to watch was when you guys came to Kansas City, and I was oh interrupted. <laughs> no, because and that so... is so funny. I knew I watched this movie before. But Did I you remember. forget? I forgot. I knew I watched this. I was like, why? Why do I know what's going to happen? And that is Again, so funny. This is how you rate the writing. Because if it's one of those movies where like you keep missing it and you don't know what's happening, you have to like keep rewatching to figure out what happens. Eh, it's probably not the best. <laughs> I gave it a seven, but I feel like it's really generous. I gave it a seven as well. Like, oh. I actually, I actually thought it was cute, but we can get into why. Yes, uh, characters. What did you, what did you rate this? Okay, well, I'm biased. Um, I love that there's a female Asian lead. Mm. I don't really love how it fully played out, but out of all the Hallmark movies with Asian female leads that I've seen. This one is probably the best, even though it's yeah. not like fantastic. And also I love Catherine Kim. She is was in a show called The Company You Keep with Milo Ventimiglia. So shout out to all the Gilmore Girls fans who were Team Jess, because I was Team Jess. And even guest starred Tony Shaloub, which I am a monk fan too. Um, so I I know it should be like we're rating characters in the, you know, the character development of the actual movie but then I end up like really loving the actors or actresses themselves and that's apparently how I end up (laughs) doing these characters because I feel like Catherine did an incredible job delivering with the script she was given Mm. um and making it as um authentic as it could possibly be um within the Hallmark world and with the history that we've had so far with Asian Americans on TV so I feel like I was generous. I gave it eight bobas. Okay. I also gave it eight bobas, which is so really funny. we're so yeah. synced. What's happening I today? I I yeah, I just well, I really love the diversity in characters. I really love that <laughs> Mr. Kim was in this. There's yes. lots to say, but how funny was this movie to you though? So the only thing that made me laugh was how different all the boyfriends were. Yeah, that is true. The only thing, like, wow, girl, and that like, fir- your the taste first is boyfriend, yeah, the first boyfriend, he was actually pretty funny. 
Yeah. See, like, but it was like the tropey, like, it wasn't like, ha ha ha, laugh out loud, LOL, funny. It was like, eh, the skater boy. Yeah. High school kid. Yeah. So, anyway, so I gave it a three. Oh, I gave it a five. I mean, we're wow. pretty close. Only because I, I didn't think it was like terrible. Like, right. I, I laughed at some points, but it wasn't sure. like, yeah, hilarious. Yeah. Um, what was your overall rating? <laughs> I didn't even give it a number. I said it's meh. And I'm only reviewing this because I feel like I want to give our audience an on-ramp in comparison to what I think a good Asian American drama should be. And I've I had lost all hope until American Born Chinese came out this year on Disney Plus. And that is like, and now I have hope, and that's the standard. And I think we can do it, people. I gave this a six. Again, oh. just a little bit above middle of the road. Yeah. Um, but I thought it I thought it was pretty good. I I have to say I really loved the uh we can talk about this later on, but okay. what I thought was really good is that this movie had really realistic and believable um situations like the friend zoning. True. So relatable. You could see the look of disappointment on Nate's face. Yes. This, I feel like we've all been in that situation at some point or another, whether we're friend zoning someone, someone's friend zoning (laughs) us. Like this felt very real and relatable in this friend dynamic. Yes. Uh, I think Nate did such a good job or Raymond Black did such a great job depicting and depicting the emotions yes um so yeah yes well let's just dive into the breakdown our first segment is what's love got to do with it it's our glimmers what we love breaking down romantic and family relationships what glimmers did you get okay I feel like I always start with the familiarity for me but (laughs) I loved Nate Nate to me was just like the best but I'm biased because he's from Toronto and he was on Degrassi. And I used oh to gosh. watch Degrassi. He was Sav on Degrassi. Yeah. And I loved him. Um, yeah, he is so great. And I just felt like he was really relatable. I he's 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 my age actually and I totally had a crush on him when he was on Degrassi so (laughs) the truth comes out but I thought that he did a really great job with some of the cheesiness and just making it more natural yeah um and I did note that it could be the fact that he grew up acting on Degrassi which was kind of a cheesy show so he had the you know the background Mm -hmm. um I also loved that Mr. Kim was in this movie. Yes. It was fun seeing him not play Mr. Kim, which I am surprised, but happy that they, they didn't play in to the the accent. Yes. And, and just like that character, he was much more warm, loving and fun um, in this movie. Um. And then one thing I wanted to talk about that probably was the most special and most important to me with this movie was the fact that it was around foster care. And something I haven't talked about is that 
we are a foster family. I, my parents foster children. They've been doing it now for over 10 years. And I love that this is about a man who grew up in foster care and is now a social worker. He's happy. He's emotionally healthy. He's overall just such a great guy. Statistically, the odds are not always in the child's favor when they grow up in the system. But I felt like this was a beautiful depiction of someone Mm -hmm. who can thrive despite it. Um, And so, you know, it's it's near and dear to my heart. Again, I said my parents have been doing this for 10 years. The kids that come into my parents' home, they're not just kids. You know, they're part of our family and we make sure they know that. And it's truly a gift to be able to pour into these children's lives, to love on them, care for them. And I really think that when you do that, they flourish. So it made me so happy to see this story play out this way. I really loved that. I yeah. Just have to say that. <laughs> I love, I love that you brought that up and I'm sure it's going to come up in future um, Hallmark episodes because I'm a huge fan of Jen Lilly. And actually, when I first started falling in love with Hallmark, she was on one of the first podcast episodes that I listened to. And she actually has an entire um, season podcast under the Bramble Jam Network. Um, Mm. That's the Deck the Hallmark guys (laughs) um, helped her put out a podcast highlighting foster care. Um, So she's a foster Mm. parent herself and she does um, a whole thing called Christmas is not canceled to provide um, school supplies and other things for foster kids. And she like personally goes to a home in a girl's home in Oklahoma, a girl's home in Oklahoma. So I'll link those things below. Like, I just think it's so incredible. She's not the only one um, Hallmark actor that has a heart for it. And so you'll hear them bring it up on these podcasts. I think it's incredible. So I'm so glad you brought that up. Cause yeah, for sure. That's a huge glimmer. I, of course, (laughs) my glimmer, my first glimmer in a Korean movie is going to be related to food. (laughs) You already heard how much I love food and how much it brings me joy. I promise you it's a sixth love language. And Korean food to me is the ultimate comfort food. Oh, I totally agree. Yeah, and that makes me so happy. <laughs> Wait, we have to tell them. Okay, Nini yes. flew into Toronto a couple months ago and it you came in at midnight. Yes. And of course, our favorite place. It's the only place it's open 24 hours. And we went to Owl of Minerva, which is the best <laughs> Korean spot I know. in Toronto. And we ate fried chicken and all this delicious goodness at like 2 a.m. Yes. Kimchi jjigae, all the things. It was like sundubu, like it restored my soul. <laughs> in a way that you would could not have imagined you guys I haven't been back to LA this is like the longest stretch I haven't been back to California and so I haven't gotten to have my comfort foods and so we drove in and I was like it's okay I think my flight was delayed yeah and I was like don't worry we don't have to go to dinner <laughs> like I felt so bad because Lala like she's an early riser so I know she usually goes to bed earlier than my brother and I and she's like no I've been waiting we all have day <laughs> Yeah. And I was like, oh, yeah, literally, I feel so myself. seen and it brings me so much joy. Yeah, literally, that's my biggest glimmer. Um, even though all they really showed was like gimbop and some side dishes, like, yeah, there should have been so much more. But 
even the fact that Hallmark put Gimbap in their like there's a there's a Hallmark movie with a Chinese lead, which we'll get to at some point. And they had loaves of bread on the table. And I was like, no, we're no, just no. We so hardly ate loaves of bread that our bread was in the freezer mm. because it would go bad because that's how things have changed over the years. But anyways, that was my biggest glimmer. I spent a really long time on that. I really love food. Um. But I feel like it was also really cool how Lauren had a friend that had such healthy advice of like, yes, you work so well under pressure, but make sure that you give yourself a break because yeah. that pressure can be a creative block. I was like, oh, that's like really healthy advice. And then I, know. I also was so like surprised at how healthy and it, I was so surprised that this also falls under Oi with the Poodles already, and I'll get to that more later. But I was, it was refreshing how healthy the conversation between Appa and Lauren was about her mom leaving. And even in mm. like the first few minutes of you meeting their characters, he even asked like, oh, how is your mom doing? Like as if it's such a normal, healthy, yeah. no big deal. It's not triggering anyone conversation. Um, it's just that Lauren's mom really loved to travel and it's, I don't know. They just had a really healthy conversation about it. So that was surprising to me. Um, what other things did you have for what's love got to do with it? Um, I, so I'm just going, I lost my note. There it is. I also just loved the relationship that Lauren had with her dad, but I yeah. also really liked the relationship she had with her stepmom. And I yeah. thought it was very warm and like her stepmom wasn't trying too hard. You yes. know, sometimes we see that where it's a stepmom and they're trying really hard to to be the mom and and to be that figure in these kids' lives. And she was just very quietly supportive. Like, yeah, I don't know. I, I really enjoyed that dynamic. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. Don't go chasing waterfalls, unhealthy behaviors and coping mechanisms. I, I feel like most of mine are in way with the poodles already. I didn't have a whole lot here because like I said, watching this movie, it was really hard for me to get through. Even though it was like the best of the Asian American lead movies, it still was like uninspiring for me. Mm -hmm. Uh, what did you have? Just the obvious. I think Lauren is constantly running. And mm -hmm. we all know the issue with running from your problems. Yeah. They just appear again. Exactly. And it could be new people, a different circumstance. But the same problem will always come back to haunt you. Exactly. And there are real repercussions for not dealing with your issues. Um, you know, as painful as they are, they are what cause us to grow and ultimately become better versions of ourselves. Yeah. Um, you know, when you don't deal with these things, it increases negative feelings, anxiety, stress, fear, exactly. and, and inevitably it creates so many problems in your life that can have a repercussion on your physical health, 
your emotional health. Um, and it causes you to isolate. So yeah, I think the core of the, of Lauren's issue was really allowing herself to be loved. And that's, a that's so deeply rooted in who we are. Mm -hmm. That's our foundation. We were all created to be loved and to give love. Um, And when you're fighting that and you're avoiding it, you're missing out on such an amazing part of who we were created to be. You know, I love being loved. So I feel sad for her. Like I actually felt sad for her. Yeah. Because she would just, she was such an avoider. Yeah. Yeah. From something that would, could be so good. Exactly. That was my biggest one too. I mean, she literally was the perfect example of how avoiding your triggers doesn't solve anything. Um, Mm -hmm. That the only way, like if you're triggered, let it be an indicator light to get curious about why is this triggering me Mm -hmm. and get professional help to get through it. And also I do have to say that that avoidant type of personality that does come from trauma was very relatable for me. I wonder how often in an Asian American household, that's very common. Um, So obviously we can't make blanket statements. And I know a lot of people who aren't Asian will also relate. Um, But that was very relatable for me because it's that whole um, concept, which I didn't come to learn until I was in my early twenties, but that you can't actually give love if you don't know how to receive love mm-hmm. and that's that's applies to giving and receiving anything but especially when it comes to love and you're right it, it is tied into who we are and our worth um such an important like a never-ending journey yeah. I feel like I don't think like we so ever true. get to the end of it but it's such a key part of healing for anyone so yeah that was my biggest one. I didn't really feel like I had anything else there just besides the fact that I'm not sure if it was healthy or not the way that Nate, I guess he didn't really pine and wait around for her because he had his, uh, his girlfriends too. But he never, he never, yeah, went that's, after I, her. That's what I wrote down was it's a two-way street. Like, did he <clears throat> ever communicate to her that he loved her? Like, why did he wait so long? Like, it was in his eyes. <laughs> yeah, I know. Like, I just. I know. But yeah, if, maybe he didn't want to ruin the friendship if she like, because, OK, that. I've had it where a guy who is a friend, a close friend, a bestie <laughs> um, has shared with me that he liked me and I did not feel the same. And it actually ruined our friendship. Oh, listen, like, girl, to this day, we have stories. I mean, <laughs> this will have to go on a different episode where we have a conversation <laughs> about a book called I Kiss Dating Goodbye <laughs> and all the work I've had to do around that. Um, bless you, people who have been harmed by that. And bless Joshua Harris, who's the author. If you're interested, there's a documentary on Amazon Prime. Have you and I had a conversation about this? He made no. a documentary on Amazon Prime apologizing for his book. And it was... Oh, I, yeah, I did hear about it, but I haven't watched it. Yeah, it was one of the most cathartic experiences for me. So if you're a, mm-hmm. especially a girl or guys too who grew up conservative Christian. My mom took it further. I didn't just have 
I kissed dating goodbye. I also had a book called Of Knights and Fair Maidens, literally <laughs> about modern day courtship. So you can imagine Lovely. a little bit of my childhood and why it was so hard for me to receive love. Um, but again, I have, we'll, um, oh, we'll go into that later. No, go ahead. I have one last thing and I don't, I don't know if this really belongs in this section, but since we're talking about Lauren's unhealthy patterns of behavior, um, what I think is really interesting, what Hallmark did, and I actually appreciate is that, you know, despite Lauren, okay, Lauren's parents aren't together. So she didn't have technically like a perfect childhood, but she had a quote unquote normal childhood. Um, but Nate who grew up in the foster care system yeah. and didn't have a normal childhood. Really, it's Lauren that has all the issues. It's so interesting. And I think it I think it is interesting that they chose not to like reverse the role. And I appreciate it. Yeah. Um, that they didn't play into the whole like, you know, foster care totally issues child. You know, I just I just really liked that they they made his life very positive. Yes. And a picture a, a depiction of what can be on the other side absolutely um, yeah i love it all right boy with the poodles already this is plot holes continuity issues wait what <laughs> what we didn't like <laughs> deep breaths here deep breaths um okay, i have well, go ahead jump in i'm just gonna no what i'm gonna say is i'm gonna go first because i only have one and what? i know you have many okay so i'll let you get to it okay but it's funny that I only have one. I really yeah. looked. Okay. And maybe it's just, I don't know. Maybe I was blind. Um, <laughs> but her wig in the past, yeah. <laughs> it was the absolute worst wig <laughs> I have ever seen in my life. I know. That was terrible. I'm like, why is it? Is it weird to think that she's just had the same haircut no. since college? Like, like no. I've pretty much had the same haircut since college. Like, exactly. Why did she have to wear a wig? And it was so terrible. It actually made her look older. It's true. Not younger. It's true. She looked younger in the future. Anyways, she did. that was it. She ended up looking in like in a juma, which is what you call like Korean auntie. Um, so I have a, a simple one to start with because I feel like it applies to so many of these Hallmark Christmas movies. In a lot of these Hallmark Christmas movies, you see like an outdoor Christmas market. Like it's snowing, they're outside, and there's all these vendors outside. Now, I understand that in Europe, there are some of these like European outdoor Christmas markets. Mm -hmm. Please message me if you... Where are these outdoor Christmas markets in Northern America? Do you guys have one? Yes, we do. We have an amazing one. What? Every every year. But how Christmas. does that work? Like they're just out it's in the all... snow? Yes, in the cold. It's freezing. It's absolutely freezing. We go and they have, it's wonderful. There's a giant tree in the middle. There's usually performances. There's all these stalls and they look, they're like red and green and they sell little trinkets or food um but it's absolutely freezing but it's magical oh it totally totally exists you'll have to come up to toronto when it's happening it's called the christmas market okay well my oi with the poodles already is <laughs> i don't understand so this goes beyond the movie i guess i'm really irked and so i had to write this one down because it doesn't make any sense to me like are there are there heaters everywhere like 
How do, so the vendors no. obviously can't stay out if there's like a blizzard. Like do uh, they shut down? You know, probably. I've never gone in a blizzard, but there are like areas to warm up, but I'm pretty sure some vendors have little heaters in their thing. Like they're powered, right? They're little cubicle, like basically like the movie. So they probably have electricity to plug in a little heater. So they're like tents then, with walls, like tent walls. Well, like they're not the... even tents. They're like real structures. Oh, see, I can't. I'm going I'm I'm like, to find a picture and send it to you. I'm thinking it's like, real. I'm an LA girl. So I'm thinking like swamp meat night market style in the snow like and for me you have to understand like I grew up going to Disneyland every Christmas um like my entire life every year and not on Christmas day but just for the Christmas season and then we went to um Silver Dollar City in Branson for Christmas and I'm like who wants to do an amusement park when it's snowing or raining or cold outside like I, I didn't make the connection like this doesn't make any sense. So my other oy with the poodles is like in LA, we have a plethora of indoor malls to choose from. In Kansas City, <laughs> within driving distance of like a 50 mile radius, I literally have one indoor mall. This makes no sense to me. Like, why do you I have know. outdoor Christmas markets where it's snowing? Sorry, that is my <laughs> oy with the poodles already. Apparently it goes beyond Hallmark movies. Okay. Let's move on to the sweet red bean paste they refer to as Nutella for Koreans. <laughs> Number one, sweet red bean paste isn't just a Korean thing. If we want to break it down, ancient Chinese history is longer, but whatever. We won't go there. <laughs> um, almost most Asians have sweet red bean paste in their desserts. Um, and But my biggest thing is Yong, who's Lauren's stepmother, saying that her mother taught her to bake at Christmas. Okay, let me explain. I'm teach. I I don't know. I I didn't take Asian American history in college. I wish I had. So I don't know as much as most of my friends. But I feel like Lauren in this movie is near my age, which would make Yong's mother near my own grandmother's age and that generation of Asian grandparents not Asian excuse me Korean and Taiwanese grandparents they lived during World War II when Japan took control of their countries both Korean and ta mm. Taiwan so you probably don't even know this I'm giving you a little lesson no um, our Korean though that generation of Korean grandparents um, so Korean grandparents and Taiwanese grandparents could actually communicate with one another because they were educated in Japanese. My grandparents mm. actually had to relearn how to read Chinese after the wow. Japanese occupation was over. Like they knew Japanese better than their own language. Wow. So um, during that time, I grew up with my parents telling me like Asians don't love desserts, which was true in that time. It is a <laughs> totally different story now. Korean Taiwanese girls love their desserts. But back in the day, especially during for a generation coming through World War II, they don't have a lot of extras. You're not going to have a lot of desserts. Right. Baking was not a thing. We had like <laughs> moon cakes and like different, we don't have like the, definitely not going to have a bunt cake. Let me just put it that right. way. Um. So lies, unless her family owned a bakery, it's just lies. And not only <laughs> that, 
<laughs> but when Lauren talks about how um, her mom, like her biological mom, wasn't the kind of mom that has Christmas traditions. Excuse me. <laughs> that is so offensive. <laughs> because that could be said of any Asian mom. If you watch mm. any run-of-the-mill Asian drama, you would know that Christmas is not a thing in Asian countries. Christmas is like the equivalent of Valentine's Day. It's like a romantic holiday because wow. those countries didn't have Christian heritages. Christmas is very much like a Christian holiday. So not very many people have trees and open gifts. It's like if you have a date, you might exchange gifts with your date on Christmas, unless you go to like a Christian church, wow. you're not going to have Christmas like that. So I just want to say, be free of judgment, any Asian mom out there, because yeah, no, most of us are not going to have Christmas <laughs> traditions. All the Christmas traditions I have for me and my kids come from white families that I observed growing up <laughs> and we have them and they're really important to me, but they're not Asian Christmas traditions by any means. Um, my last one is big and it's a big oi with the poodles already. That was a huge trigger for me. But then once I settled and got curious about my trigger, I allowed it to be a little healing. So bless all of you out there that had the same trigger. But there's this whole touching conversation between Appa and Lauren about her love life and his love life. <laughs> Asian Americans out there, can you please comment? Send me feedback. I mean, honestly, if there's one of you out there that can tell me that you had this type of conversation with your immigrant father, or even, honestly, even if it's a first or second generation Asian American father, that's amazing. That's a unicorn. I'd love to meet your dad. There's no judgment to any Asian American dads out there because my father grew up with his own father that was taught that he could, he was not allowed to smile in front of his children. If my grandfather laughed in front of his children, he would put his hands in front of his face because he was taught you're not a man if you laugh in front of your children. Wow. So wow. you emulate what you have seen. How else you, you don't have any other grid, right? So I have no judgment for Asian parents, especially immigrant parents. Like they're only doing what they know, um, does that have effects and consequences on the next generation? Yes. And we work mm -hmm. on our own work, but their ceiling is our floor. So I honor their journeys also, but I also mm. have work and I have to admit it was so hard for me to admit that I had wounds from my parents because I'm like, do you understand what immigrant parents <laughs> have to go through? And then we're basically like third culture kids. Cause we don't really feel like we belong. Um, anywhere we don't we don't belong with our families we don't feel like we fit we don't belong with our you know especially when we go to our like countries that your parents are from as immigrants like we very much stand out as Americans there so anyways lots of stuff to work on all around but first of all for a dad to listen to his daughter talk about her love life for a daughter to even feel safe to open up to her father in general i think mm. for any culture but especially yeah. in asian culture i just was like okay okay 
okay, okay. At first I was so triggered, like this <laughs> would never happen. <laughs> like, yeah. It, at first I was angry because I was like, that's really tone deaf of Hallmark to even include it. But then the message was so sweet. And I do remember when my mom passed and it's been over a decade, but when she first passed was when I first started watching um, Asian dramas when I was nursing my baby, I would have to watch something to stay awake when I was nursing and it had to be like really calm. <laughs> and when you're nursing, like you literally can't do anything else, um, you know, besides like you're on your phone or your computer, but you like, can't like right. do much else. And so I haven't watched Asian dramas in a long time. Cause I had to like sit, that was the only time I would like sit and focus and be able to read mm-hmm. subtitles, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, I remember I learned so much about myself watching Asian dramas. Cause there was a lot about my culture that I didn't realize like, Oh my gosh, that's why I am the way I am. But then there were times where there were things that I thought like, oh, this I'm this way because of my culture. And I realized, oh, it's just unique to my family. And there mm. would be healing conversations, parent to child in these Asian dramas. And I would just like receive it kind of similar to wow. if anyone does like what's called resource tapping, which is like if you're triggered and you need something to like calm you down, you can have someone that you bring to your mind that you prepare ahead of time. That's like someone who's a protector, someone who's wise. Anyways, that's, that's what these all like these and agent dramas have become to me. Once I get, once I get past my trigger, I'm like, okay, if I can receive this as if it was being said to me and having an Asian patriarchal figure saying, even though your mom left, I don't regret loving her because it was worth it. And that, the possibility of finding love is worth the risk of getting hurt. Mm. Then I let the tears flow, guys. All right, that was really long. I'm off my soapbox now. No, that was really good. I loved that. Okay. Well, Jayo, waiting. Okay, I realize you guys, it's really hard when you speak like Chinglish or mixed Konglish because <laughs> like your accents aren't exactly right. The way that Koreans actually say fighting is more like it's with the the F is said with the HW. So it's like fighting. <laughs> Anyways, all right. I'm totally messing that up. Jayo, fighting, happily ever after. What do we think happens after the movie? Who are we rooting for? Obviously, Lauren and Nate. I do really like them together. Um, my thinking was that they get married and they actually don't have children of their own. They just become foster parents. And maybe adopt. Oh, yeah. Love and they have a really, ending. they have a really big family. And then her dad and her stepmom—they're all really involved. They're just a really close knit family, and are foster parents slash adoptive parents. That's an amazing ending. I love it. I watched this after retreat to you, which, if you listen to that episode, I was really angry <laughs> and I was uninspired. <laughs> so I said, I hope it works out for them. I hope it works out. I think it will. I think it will. (laughs) I love it. Thanks for listening in. I hope you enjoyed our first review of a Hallmark movie with an Asian lead, which will lead us to more and hopefully soon reviewing American born Chinese. Thanks for breaking script with us. Check out our show notes for how and when to watch these movies and be sure to follow us. So you never miss an episode. Bye. Bye.